1: Hello, this is Lily Gorn with the New Books Network, the New Books in Political Science podcast. Today, I'm joined by Joshua Foa-Dienstag, and he is the author of Cinema Pessimism, a the political apolitical theory of representation and reciprocity. This was published in 2020 by Oxford University Press, and Joshua is a scholar of aesthetics, political theory, film in particular. Um, and he is very wise. I learned much from reading this book But i'd like joshua to tell us a little bit about it as we move into this conversation Joshua first i'd like to welcome you to the new books podcast And ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to this particular project
0: Hi lily, it's uh great to be here. Thank you so much for asking me to do this. Um well, um, I think of myself, I guess uh initially as a historian of, of political theory. And I've written a lot about, um, uh, uh um, political theory, for example, of the American founders and about the, the, the tradition of pessimism and European political theory. Um, and when I finished that book, uh, on, on pessimism, I, I thought I would do something completely different, which was, um, teach and learn a little bit about film, which had always been something I was fascinated by, but I didn't actually think it was going to be a, a, an intellectual focus, but, um, I taught a class and then I started writing some papers, um, uh, that eventually became different chapters of this book. Um, mostly to try to figure out what, if anything, we could learn from film, uh, about politics. There is certainly a long tradition of, um, people who study film and political theory. Um, and recently there's been a lot of interest in the, the general topic of, of representation in democracy and, uh, a group of theorists writing about the, the value of representative democracy. And I, I, I thought that film kind of gave us a important perspective on that literature, uh, as it turns out, a more pessimistic, uh, perspective on that literature. Um, so that that's sort of how the the, the project got generated, and uh, then it just came together over a couple of years as I sort of found the the themes that unified what I what I'd been writing about in these different papers
1: and and the themes that you sort of talk about through this book and you just mentioned um sort of the the structure of thinking i think is the way that i was understanding it as i read through the book mm-hmm. is this question of representative democracy um, and, and you trace, you know, you sort of trace quickly, um, at the beginning of the book, uh, as sort of an understanding of how a lot of us in political theory, but in general, think about representative democracy. We live in one. Yes. Um, and, and yet there's, a, again, there's this sort of tension as I always have with my students talking to them about democracy. We are not in a direct democracy. Um, yes. and you sort of talk about that in context of thinking about, why we should be interested also in film?
0: Yes. So can you
1: talk about that?
0: <laughs> sure. Right. Well, so th- there there is a, a, a long history of I, I guess I'd say the romance of direct democracy. Um, uh, uh, we talk about democracy often um, as as if the ideal kind of democracy is the the direct Athenian democracy where you know, everyone's a legislator, everyone's a voter, everyone's a potential speaker. There's only one assembly and we're all in it. Um, um, of course that, that kind of democracy has hardly ever existed in the history of the world and certainly has never existed in this country. Uh, but the result of that romance is that we talk about representation as a kind of second best democracy. Um, something that, uh, we, we, have to be careful about, um, because we, we don't participate directly. We have representatives who do most of the legislating and then, you know, we participate just sporadically when we vote or, or in other ways. Um, uh, so traditionally there's been a lot of skepticism about, uh, representative democracy recently, however, there's been uh, a movement in the world of political theory, a very interesting movement, uh, to defend representative democracy as, as the better kind of democracy. In fact, um, on the grounds that, uh, uh, it's, it's better capable of producing, say, reasoned, uh, deliberative decision-making or informed decision-making, uh, or, or something like that on the reasonably plausible grounds that, um, it's hard for 200 million people to have a conversation or 300 million people to have a conversation about anything. Um, and so we should, uh, you know, think of, uh, uh, representative democracy as a place of informed decision-making or something like that. Um, and although I find this literature very interesting, um, I'm, I, I remain skeptical, um, mostly because, um, It, uh, this kind of representative democracy can, can create inequality, um, political inequality, not, not just the kind of inequality of rich and poor, but, um, the inequality between those who speak and those who, who are silent that I think is, um, uh, that, that, that mirrors in a way, uh, what, what we experience in, in cinema, which is a very, Powerful emotional experience, uh, you know, an experience of, of emotional connection, but also, uh, a a passive or disempowering experience. So, um, uh, cinema is important in part because it, you know, teaches us how, how powerful an experience representation is, um, even, even for those who aren't directly participating in it and, the, the sort of central concern of the book is how do we manage that, that relationship? Uh, because I, you know, agree very much that we can't really go back to direct democracy. It's impossible. Uh, if we want to have, you know, even a medium sized state, um, we could break up the United States into, you know, 300 separate polities and there would still be a million people and you can't have a conversation with a million people. But, Um, representation has uh, kind of dangers built into it and um, we're not always completely aware of those dangers.
1: And I I wanted to ask you about what those dangers are in terms of the political, of of the understanding of politics um, but also where they all thread into um, the question of cinema. Uh,
0: Well There, there are a couple of dangers. One is that just the, 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 the representative relationship crowds out, um, every other kind of, of human relationship and, um, makes us in, in a way worse people. And, um, you, you, I mean a simplified way to think about this is, is, is just in the way that the more time we spend staring at our screens, uh, the less time we spend actually talking to other people. Um, um, but, but the, the images and emotions, uh, and interactions that we have with the screens can be so powerful that we don't always sort of notice what's going on. And that's, that, that's what goes on in the film her, which is, uh, a wonderful film that came out a few years ago with, uh, Joaquin Phoenix about, you know, the man who falls in love with his operating system, his computer operating artificial intelligence system, which, you know, mimics human personality so perfectly that, um, you know, it's just the best thing that's ever happened to him. Um, uh, but the, the point of the film is that, um, in the end, these relationships can't replace or shouldn't replace, uh, the actual friendships and family relationships that we have with other real live people. But, but we can become swept up in them. Um, and, and just because they're so easy, uh, and, And, and they do give us a kind of emotional satisfaction, um, just in the way film and television can give us a kind of emotional satisfaction, um, without, without actually entering us into a real relationship of equals. Um, so just for those reasons, uh, representation, um, can, you know, substitute for, for real human relationships without us knowing, or without us noticing very much, um, to the point that we end up isolated as human beings. And in, in a way I try to explain in the book, you know, less human just because we're, we're not engaging in any real relationships of equals with, with other people. Uh, and that, and that's very dangerous because the, the, the fabric of our human society depends upon those relationships. Um, and it's not, uh, I think just a fantasy that we could lose that, that human fabric in our society. I think it's really happening, uh, between, between television, cinema and the internet, uh, and video games and, you know, every other kind of, of interaction we have. Um, being with other human beings is, uh, is comparatively speaking difficult. And it's easy for, for us to escape. Uh, and we have more, uh, avenues of escape now than ever. Uh, and we have to be careful about using them.
1: And this, the idea of the isolation and the escape is is not necessarily new. Obviously this is something that Tocqueville warned against 130 years ago, um, that I talk to my students about, but you're talking about sort of the, the, the sort of built in difficulty that representation as a political dynamic, as a form of democracy has always had embedded in it. Is that correct? And, and, and so that the, that danger is always there if we live in a representative democracy. Um, and, and how is that, to some degree, is that more pronounced now, um, in terms of politics, separate from the evaluation of the role of film or cinema?
0: Yeah, I mean, what I'd say is, is uh, you're 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 right the, the danger has always been there. I mean, first of all, the thing to say about it is that the relationship between the you know the population and the representative is an emotional relationship it's not just a, an intellectual or a material relationship it's not it's not just that we you know we send our representative a bunch of ideas um and the representative sifts through them and it's not just that we think of the representative as um uh, a transmitter of our interests there's there is and there's always been an emotional connection between um representative and population, uh, sometimes stronger, sometimes weaker, sometimes more positive, sometimes less positive. But I think what has changed, um, as our state has grown, uh, is that, you know, at the time of the constitutional convention or, or when, uh, the Tocqueville was writing, it was, uh, approximately, for example, 50,000 citizens to, uh, uh, U S house representative so that meant that uh your representative was someone who you know maybe wasn't a friend but um someone that you knew or someone who was a friend of a friend um you know 50,000 people is about uh the number of people that are on campus on UCLA where i teach uh every day um but now it's uh it's nearly 900,000 citizens to uh to House representative. Um, that's a much bigger ratio. And, um, the, so, so the, 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 the distance, um, the, the, the distance between an individual citizen and the person speaking on their behalf in our national system of government, uh, and, and also in state and local, um, has just increased dramatically. And so, whereas before you might have had, um, you know, this emotional relationship alongside, uh, you know, a more direct intellectual or personal or material connection to your representative. Now, now our representatives are more like, um, the people that we interact with, if you can call an interaction in, in film and television where we have, uh, you know, a relatively distant, um, and, uh, 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 well, uh, just a, a, a it's more not dist- very
1: human, yes. it's not very human. Well, I mean, I, that's,
0: I, I mean, it remains human in the emotional sense that, you know, we emotionally invest in, in characters and, and we get something back from them in, in terms of emotion. But, but what we don't have is anything like, uh, reciprocity. Um, you know, we, but we, but we do sort of have the illusion of reciprocity um, we, we have, you know, what feels like, uh, a powerful connection. Um, you know, we incessantly talk about the shows and, and, uh, and, and characters in, in, in television and movies that we're, uh, engaged with because they do engage us emotionally, but it's not anything like, uh, true reciprocity, which only comes with, you know, a genuine back and forth with another person
1: and and that's and the, and that sort of mirrors that's what you're sort of talking about in the book is that this this is mirrored by our sort of disconnection to our uh elected officials um and that we have these kind of distant and disconnected relationships with our representatives. You can like go on their website and fill in a box and somebody will get back to you who's speaking on their behalf. But again, you're not really in any kind of interaction. And you know this from living in the state of California, you have two senators who represent Close to forty million people, um, and you know the the folks in the great state of Wyoming have two senators who represent less than seven hundred thousand people, um, and and so in in the larger spaces also this is even more potentially more disconnected at the federal level. There may be more relationship at the local and state level, um, and, but and even the, so,
0: and the and the ironic thing is that you know at one level there is a lot of information that goes back and forth and in a way more information goes back and forth now than in the 1800s or 1700s i can i can email my representative i can text them um and there's a lot of polling that they do and uh opinion surveys so uh uh, you know they they know a lot about me and and i can transmit things to them. And I, you know, I probably will get some kind of response back to my email, but not from the person themselves. So, you know, I, I think this is one of the reasons why defenders of, of representative democracy will say, look, look how, you know, look how much information is going back and forth. Uh, look how well positioned they are to understand what your needs are. Um, and, and that is true. But, uh, but at the same time, there's, uh, And and, an inequality and uh, an emotional distortion that's taking place um, that is that is worse uh, than than 100 or 200 or 300 years ago. Um, And that's a dangerous situation.
1: And the emotional distortion is also what you are exploring with regard to the cinematic. Um, representations in the book. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, again, you have the example of the movie her, but you have a number of other films or that you are looking at that sort of you're getting at or or digging into this question of the that emotional distortion in the relationship?
0: yeah well, the the this this part of the argument does pick up on uh, something that Rousseau, Jean jacques Rousseau uh, wrote. Uh, hundreds of years ago about the, the theater. He was, uh, uh, as he says in his book about the theater, he was a great fan of the theater and a great critic at the same time. Uh, he said he'd, he'd never willingly missed a production of Moliere. Um, but 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 he also said that uh, theater was bad for Republican government and uh, he opposed the opening of a the theater in his native Geneva where there there was no theater at the time. And and what he said about it was that um, it it is it is precisely this question of of the emotional relationship between the actor and and the audience. Um, The audience, uh, he says, you know, goes to the theater to be with other people. But in fact, they're all alone. What he meant by that is, you know, obviously, he didn't mean that they're physically all alone because you are uh, with other people in in a theater or uh, at the movies. Um, um, but you're alone in the sense that, um, the, the, the effect of the performance is to isolate you emotionally. You're there with other people, but you're not actually talking to them. You're not actually interacting with them. You, you feel like you're interacting, uh, with a person who is on stage. Um, and you, the, 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 the thrill of the theater is, is precisely the emotional charge that you get from it. It's not a lecture. You don't go to receive information. Um, you go to experience a passion of uh, of of love or or fear. If you if you go to see a horror movie, um, uh, and and you go precisely because these uh, emotions are are more powerful um, in the theater than they are somewhere else. And it and it feels like um, you're in a kind of relationship with the person who's on the screen. You're not just witnessing people falling in love. You're kind of going through the motions with them. You're not just witnessing people being afraid. You're going through the emotions with them. Um, uh, so it feels like you're in a relationship. Um, but, uh, but you're not. And, uh, in, in fact, uh, you only become sort of further or, you know, potentially, uh, you, you don't get closer to any other human being while you're at the theater, but it feels like you do. Um, and, uh, Rousseau's concern was that, uh, this didn't strengthen your connection to other citizens, even though you were there with other people, it actually weakened them. Um, and I think, uh, there is, uh, that, that argument, um, has a great deal of validity and applies in even stronger terms, uh, to cinema, to the internet, um, uh, to, to all of these interactions where our emotions are engaged. Um, and it feels like, uh, we're in a relationship or it feel uh, sorry, it feels like we're, uh, creating a bond with others. Uh, but we're, we're just not. And the reason that we're not is, uh, the lack of reciprocity, real, uh, relationships involve, uh, you know, an exchange of something, uh, between two people, uh, whether it's friendship or love or family, uh, or political community, um, all of those, and they're all different from one another, uh, but they all do have that uh, uh, reciprocal character where it's it's the give and take between the parties that that make up the relationship. Um, but it but it is easy to kind of simulate that uh, that feeling of emotional exchange and uh, and it and it's easier uh, to be. Uh, on the receiving end, without having to do anything. And when you go to the theater or when you go to the movies, you don't really have to do anything. You just get to sit there and enjoy the relationship without doing any of the work.
1: That was one of the critiques early on um, from the Frankfurt School was the passivity of the experience. And and so this continues to be a concern in terms of the fact that you are having an emotional experience, but it is in a passive capacity and it is to some degree solitary, even if you are in a theater with many people. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about how that is also potentially problematic in context of our understanding of representative democracy?
0: well yes i mean just just in the sense that um it it um if representative democracy is to do its job uh it 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 has to do its job by you know advancing the the interests and needs um of the democratic population as a whole but it 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 can't do that if um if that population is disempowered, um, uh, and if people don't participate actively in, uh, their own governance, then, um, you know, then representative democracy fails its mission. Um, and if our, if the very form of representation, um, even as it's transmitting information has the effect of 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 disempowering the population, then it can't be a good thing. Now that doesn't mean that that direct democracy, um, is workable either, but what it means is that we have to, um, uh, uh, consider how best to organize representation so that it doesn't, um, Disempower the very people that it's supposed to empower and as I talk about later on in the book I I do think there are avenues for doing that there are forms of representation that um, Don't have this disempowering uh, effect, but they're um, They're less fun Um, They're they may be less emotionally satisfying uh, and they may be more work for everybody which is to say that, you know, what's fun and uh, what actually makes for uh, freedom in a democratic community aren't, aren't the same thing.
1: And so before we get there, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> um, if I could talk to you a little bit about this concept also that's embedded in the title and that you sort of talk about in your book, in terms of understanding pessimism from the perspective that you are coming at it mm-hmm. um, in context of not only your own uh, interpretation or understanding of it, but also how we should think about it in terms of both politics and cinema.
0: Well, I mean, pessimism to me uh, uh, doesn't, doesn't mean that, you know, everything's going to hell in a handbasket or, or that there's no hope. It, it just means that there are, irreducible tensions, um, between different goods and, um, and especially between freedom and happiness, uh, the things that make us free and the things that make us happy aren't the same. There's a, there's a trade off and, uh, we have to be very careful about how we choose and, and optimism is the belief that there's no trade off, uh, that we can be perfectly free and perfectly happy at the same time, that there's no cost to, uh, maintaining free institutions. And I, you know, I don't think that's true. Um, I, I do think that is what, uh, you know, a tradition of political theorists like Rousseau and like de Tocqueville were trying to tell us, uh, but we don't have to read the old books. Uh, although it's a very good idea to read them. Um, we, we can also see it in, uh, the institutions all around us.
1: And, and so I wanted to ask you to take us through some of the the sort of um, cinematic artifacts that you integrated beyond the film her um, you also take us through the up series um, which you cast as a series of films but it was originally on television um, and and it also is an import from the UK um, and and Blade Runner so can can you walk us through? to some degree, why these particular artifacts are contributing to the argument that you're making.
0: Yeah. Well, let me talk about uh, another film that you didn't mention um, uh, first, which is The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, um, which is a, a great Western from John Ford. Uh, that is, uh, exactly about to me, the, the, the trade-off between freedom and happiness. And, um, what happens in it, uh, is, is that Jimmy Stewart, uh, comes to a town that's in a, a Western territory, um, that's dominated by, uh, a, a dangerous, uh, gunslinger who's named Liberty Valance, uh, and has to. Uh, transform itself into a place that's uh, peaceful and harmonious, and it, it wants to be integrated into the United States. That is, it want the territory wants statehood, and this is the metaphor in the film for you know transformation from a lawless state of nature to a, a well ordered state. And at first, Jimmy Stewart sort of thinks that it's no problem that um, we're all going to be free and happy. All we have to do is get together and vote. Um, uh, talk about what we want and, you know, the, the problems will go away. And what he learns in the course of the film, what we all learn is, uh, no, there's a price that has to be paid. Uh, and, and the price in this case is that someone actually has to kill Liberty Valance. Uh, that is someone has to murder him, um, because there's no lawful state, uh, to do it for us or, you know, to put him in jail or something like that. Um, and in the course of the film, uh, what what's shown is that it actually takes, first of all, more than one person. Uh, it's not just Jimmy Stewart who does all this, although he gets the credit for it in the end. Um, and the story of the film is that there is a path to um, to freedom, um, but there's a, a price to be paid, and the, and the price is paid by the character of Jimmy Stewart, uh, who's uh, you know transformed into a not bitter, but, but rather unhappy man, uh, just because he sort of carries through the duty of, of, you know, taking on the burden of these sins, uh, in order for other people to enjoy the, uh, the prospect of, of prosperity and freedom. Um, so that's, you know, that's to me the embodiment of, of, uh, the pessimism that I'm talking about. Like, you know, we can, we can, we can organize ourselves in a, in a, and lawful society but uh we won't all be happy in this process uh and and we can't imagine um that that it's easy um so that you know so i use that film to talk about the the sort of the the costs of um a free and well-ordered society but in uh when the up series of films uh which is what i focus on in the last chapter uh is meant to talk about uh the value of um uh representation there 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 is a way in which we can think of representation as working um but it it's not in uh the way that hollywood movies normally work the up series isn't uh a, a romantic comedy it's a documentary about actual people um, uh, a, a series, a, a group of English people who've been filmed every seven years for 50 years. Um, and it's a wonderful documentary series and it does, um, show these people in a way that no other form of representation can. That is, it's a, it's a successful representation in the sense that you really get a wonderful portrait of these people but it's not a portrait that makes them happy. They're not, uh, they, they don't love it even though it's, uh, just the, you know, the, there's nothing else like it. 50 years of film. It's incredible. There, there's, there's no other people you can, uh, know on this earth as well, uh, considering that you've never met them. And it does show things about them that they can't know about themselves. When you look back over 50 years of film, you see things that, you know, even the people themselves aren't in a position to see just as a, you know, a biographer can know things about you that you yourself aren't in a great position to know because the biographer can look back over your whole life. Um, whereas you are always, you know, stuck in the present. Uh, and that is a, a positive function that representation can perform uh, that is rather than um, giving us you know what we want in each instant representation and and film representation even can you know give us the whole person if you think about the whole person as something that appears across time and not just in any moment so that's you know so that's the good and the and and the bad of of film and 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 representation in general and what they can do for democracy that there is i think an important role for representation in democracy, but it has to be kind of handled with care so that the, the dangers don't overwhelm the positives.
1: And, and so in, and specifically in, um, the Blade Runner, which I think I heard you give that paper some years back, um, Again, the science fiction is always an area where sort of politics can get hashed out a little bit because it's, it's such an imaginary space. Um, what is it specifically, because you talk about Blade Runner also in providing an interesting kind of self reverential understanding of maybe what it's doing.
0: Right. Um, well, Blade Runner, uh, you know, an amazing film on a, a number of dimensions, a uh, powerful film. Um, I, I hope some of, uh, people listen to this will have seen blade runner. And for those who can remember it, um, the film itself is obsessed with eyes. Uh, you know, it starts with this famous image of an eye looking out over Los Angeles and the camera cuts back and forth to Los Angeles and the eye. And there's a whole bunch of stuff with eyes, uh, throughout the film that they go see the, the, the androids go see the, the maker of eyes and, um, there, there are a bunch of scenes that have to do with eyes and, and what this is all about is that the film itself isn't in, in a sense <laughs> self-referential in, in a sense, you can understand it as about the experience of film going, uh, uh, or film viewing in, in the sense that, uh, in, in Blade Runner, human beings, um, meet images who look and sound like them, uh, that they interact with, which is a little bit like what happens when we go to the movies and we see something that looks like a human being that sounds like a human being and that um, creates an emotional connection as with a human being, but ultimately, which isn't a human being. Um, and, and the difficulty in, in the film is that the uh, humans in and the androids not just don't get along, but, but, um, don't understand at least initially the, the, the similarities and the differences, um, uh, so that the human beings treat the, uh, the replicants like slaves. Uh, they just order them around, which is a little bit like, uh, what we do with, um, our internet and filmed images. The movies are just, you know, there for our pleasure and satisfaction, in the same way that the replicants are just there for the pleasure and satisfaction of the humans. And it's, it's, it's not until one human being, you know, Deckard, uh, Harrison Ford comes to, uh, understand that there's a possibility of real reciprocity with, uh, the replicants. And likewise, one of the replicants, Rachel, um, uh, comes to the point where she can, interact with, uh, Harrison Ford as an equal. What happens in the film is that, uh, you know, out of these two groups of people who can't interact with one another, you find two individuals who can. Um, and so they're, what I think the film is telling us is that their, their relationship is, is, uh, a model of, of equality precisely because they, respect one another as individuals and interact with one another as individuals the the other replicants want to be free but they don't want to respect the human beings they think of themselves as superior and the other human beings don't want to respect the replicants um, but at the end of the film when uh, the the one human and the one replicant who can interact as equals come to accept one another as equals the, you know, what they do is shut the door and run away uh, because they don't, they don't want to be in a film anymore. They don't want to be in a story anymore. They're not, their relationship isn't there for our consumption. And so we don't actually see them have the relationship. We just see them leave um, because it's, you know, it's not there for our consumption. Uh, just, just in the way that, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really be happy if your most intimate, um, uh, moments of interaction with other human beings were, were displayed on film for everyone to see. That's, that's not what they're for. Um, not every, you know, reciprocal relationship is, is, you know, intimate and romantic, but, um, uh, but, but there is a way in which, uh, that, that reciprocity uh, and equality between human beings is sort of fragile and precious, and um, it it you know needs to be handled with care, and it it it, it doesn't necessarily withstand exposure to uh, millions of eyes. So uh, so so Blade Runner is is sort of a you know to me a, a, a giant metaphor for you know going to the movies and then leaving the movies uh, in in pursuit of a better and more equal and reciprocal human relationship with other people.
1: And I, I wanted to ask you this because you sort of nod at it in, in a lot of the discussion in the book. It's, it's a also, um, you know, one of the things about having your emotions um, sort of keyed up in these, in these experiences in a dark theater. Um, and, and you know, you know, like what do we do with that afterwards? how How much of these films, either the ones you talk about or other ones that we experience how what parts stay with us, and why, and how is that uh important to our thinking about this question of our role in a representative democracy
0: uh yeah it's a complicated question i mean what one of my concerns is just that um the, 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 powerful emotional experience in the theater, um, ends up crowding out or, um, uh, crowding out kind of everyday life. You know, we, you know, we go back to it, we become addicted to our screens, you know, according to statistics, we now spend, I don't know, six to eight hours a day staring at screens one way or another. Of course, it's not all, uh, emotional relationships, but, Um, and, and it, it has the effect of, of making our ordinary human relationships seem pale and difficult by comparison. Um, so what I'm worried we take out of it into the real world is a, you know, a kind of heightened dissatisfaction with what are the, the very real difficulties of ordinary human relationships. But, you know, Oh, I'd rather not have that meeting. I'd rather not have that talk. Um, I'd rather just watch my shows. Um, and, and that, uh, ultimately is very debilitating, uh, for democracy. Democracy is full of difficult conversations. There's, there's no question about it. It's hard to talk to your friends about politics. You know, what if you disagree about things, um, that could be threatening and it is threatening. But if, if we don't have those conversations, um, we'll never get we'll never get anywhere we'll just each of us be more isolated and more willing to let someone else make decisions for us or or have decision making be made somewhere far away um the
1: passive voice (laughs)
0: yes it's um so the the um it's it is difficult to, to govern a country, uh, with hundreds of millions of people in it. There, there are all kinds of pressures to, uh, depoliticize, uh, the, the, the community at large that that was, as you said, a concern of the Frankfurt school. I think it was also a concern, uh, before that in, in theorists like Rousseau and de Tocqueville, um, that, uh, politics was a difficult business and people didn't, didn't like to do it. Um and it 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 is after all uh, an an experiment to to have politics be conducted by the entire community uh it it's really only in the 20th century that you know women have been able to participate racial minorities have been able to participate um it's not as if uh we've ever had uh a fully democratic uh community of course in ancient greece it was just a tiny fraction of uh uh, the population that was uh, allowed to uh, attend the assembly so it, it 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 is still an experiment uh to see whether democracy can work uh, on a large scale and and surely representation is going to play some role in making that experiment go but um there there is also the danger that we will uh run away from the the difficulties of participation because they are genuinely hard, um, and, and accept an emotional substitute, um, or, or something that feels like reciprocity, but isn't. And that's what I think we get, not just in the movies, but in interactions with artificial intelligence, uh, um,
1: video games,
0: video games, uh, right. All, all those things that that, uh, uh, give us emotional satisfaction without, without requiring that we ourselves give anything back.
1: And, and of course the, the endorphins that apparently spike when people like your things on Facebook. Yes, it's true. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) Um, so you also, you also engage with Lars von Trier's, um, work, And, um, and I know uh, he is popular among political theorists. It's true. Um, and so can you talk about why his work in particular is also part of your broader sort of cinema pessimism?
0: Yes. This is a, a slightly different issue. Uh, I do write in the book about the film Melancholia uh, and, and also an earlier film of his called Zentropa. Uh melancholia is a film about the end of the world, the destruction of the world. And uh why it might be from his perspective maybe a good thing. Um uh, the, the easiest way to say it is that um uh Lars von Trier makes films about evil, um about the the evil that lurks within all of us, uh, uh, in every person and in every community. And some of his films are about, you know, Nazism and, and, and a lot of his films are about death. Um, and, uh, I think the value of these films is just in confronting the, uh, the evil that's within every community. And, and that means therefore, if, if we're thinking about, you know, what is good representation? Uh, what does it mean for a people to be represented politically? Well, um, do we ignore the evil, uh, or pretend it doesn't exist, uh, or imagine that somehow through representation we can purify a community so that the, you know, the representation, uh, the, the, the evil goes away or is invisible. Uh, I think he has in mind among other things criticizing, you know, Hollywood films where uh, you know, everyone's good looking, um, everyone's uh nice in the end and and um and love always wins and freedom always wins. Not every Hollywood film of course uh conforms to this stereotype, but um certainly a lot of them do. Uh and uh, a lot of the reasons for the Popularity of, of many kinds of uh, popular art is the fact that they're uh, a sanitized version of, of the world as it really is. But if we're really serious uh, about representation um, as uh, a, a means of democratic self-governance, well, it doesn't do to pretend that that evil doesn't play a part in our world um and not just as something that we can exclude by you know finding the bad person to exclude um you know nazism didn't come about uh just because he hitler was an evil person uh, but because millions of people responded to that evil and participated in it um and you know, whatever dangers lurk in our own political community, they're real dangers, not because there's a few bad people around, but but because all of us um, contain within ourselves to some degree um, violent and powerful and dangerous emotions, um, uh, uh, hatreds and um, vices, and um and, and and that's also part of what it means to be a human being uh, but it's very hard to deal with um very hard to um look at clearly and that's part of what i think von trier's films try to do not always perfectly successfully but that i think is the point of them and and i think any theory of democracy and any theory of democratic representation has to come to grips with this. And it's very hard to do uh and I you, you know I, I I don't think prior theories of of democratic representation have done this adequately but but you, you know I I don't it's it's just something that's very hard to do and and uh this is the hard work of political theory um that that I I am just in this book trying to hint at some of the problems really as, as much as offer solutions it's it's not easy.
1: And and you're also not only hinting at uh, the problems, but you're also suggesting that there are problems that in our political system and that our, our sort of lives outside of those political systems also have a lot of the same dynamic, dynamics going on that we may not really be aware of.
0: Yes. I, I mean... What part, part of the point I try to make in, in the book is that in, in, in order for a, a democratic system to, to, to be successful, you know, we need both a good system of representation and we need, uh, democratic lives outside the system of representation that are healthy, open, uh, and free. So it, 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 and, and, uh, the, the. What's important for that are are the conditions of equality and the condition of reciprocity, where, uh, uh, we, we actually engage in, in open, uh, give and take with other individuals, um, you know, across a variety of institutions, the family, the workplace, um, uh, the larger political community, uh, all of these have to be ideally, um, well structured, uh, in in order for representation not to you know drain the life out of um, uh, uh, daily political life. Uh, so you, you know, representation needs to be well structured, but also uh, the rest of our lives need to be well structured too. That's you, you know, we don't exist for the for the purpose of having good representation. Good representation exists for the purpose of helping us to be free and live our best lives, whatever that is. Um,
1: And I, I I, I have, um, I am, I'm getting the sense from the book and from the conversation that the, the key component that we're not paying a lot of attention to is the question of reciprocity. Yes. in part because the reciprocity also has to ha- it toggles between our emotional and our rational selves.
0: Yes, that's true, and but also the important point to me is that you know none of us live a, free, a, a fully human life by ourselves. Um, Robinson Crusoe may not have anyone to interfere with his life, but he doesn't have anyone to participate in his life either. Uh, and I don't really think that uh, we can live a complete human life ourselves. We need uh, a series of relationships, not just one other person, but um, uh, people to be our friends, people to be our collaborators, people to be our co-workers, people to be our family members and, and people to be our fellow citizens. Um, I think these are you know these are all the components of a good human life uh, but they require um, uh, equal and reciprocal relationships with other people. So uh, uh, you, you know you you can be as rich as you want, but but if you're alone, you you just don't have a full human life, and um, that is what we are in danger of losing. Um, uh, insofar as our life becomes more cinematic, that is, insofar as our life becomes more absorbed into unequal relationships that are mediated by a screen. Um, so that 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 to me is is what what we're in danger of losing but we, we also need the image of uh what what it is we want to retain and and it, you know and it's not as if um the movies or the internet went away that we would automatically revert to um these happy equal relationships they're they're already difficult to sustain in the same way it's difficult to sustain friendships relationships Uh work relationships these there there are plenty of difficulties even apart from The interference by by film or the internet or something like that But at the same time if we don't sustain them um We're like little robinson Crusoes.
1: So the the black mirror is just is both adding and subtracting simultaneously Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, we can can learn something from movies even if we shouldn't lose ourselves in the movies
1: and i and i totally get that that again that makes a lot of sense in understanding our emotional relationship to the projected images um but also what do we do with the sort of emotions in our day-to-day lives yeah and and sort of working around them absolutely so, joshua what are you working on now after this major contribution to understanding ourselves
0: uh well th- thank you i i don't know how major it is but thank you um uh um so i have become interested in um if, if 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 cinema is is one kind of um distraction from uh equal human reciprocity there are others um for example, our, uh, relationships with artificial intelligence, uh, with animals, with the environment. Um, I feel like in the 21st century, the, the boundaries of the human are being increasingly tested, um, by both, uh, kind of, uh, biological and, um, Silicon based, uh, substitutes for human beings. And, uh, I I think that's only going to increase. So I'm, I'm trying to write a book about the boundaries of the human and, uh, why it's important to hang on to, uh, some kind of boundary between the human and the non-human world, even as our computers improve and our knowledge and understanding of the environment and animals improve. Um, those are, those are real, those are all real developments and changes in the 21st century that, you know, our, our world's going to look a lot different at the end of the century than. Uh, than it did at the beginning. But uh, I think it's important for us to hang on to what makes human relationships special, at least until true artificial intelligence appears.
1: And that's in Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Right? Exactly. That's what I thought. Yes. <laughs> cyborgs take over. Excellent. Um, okay. So, when you finish that book, will you come on the new book, The Political Science Podcast, and oh. talk to me about it? Oh,
0: I'd be so happy to do so. Thank you well, so I guess much. the
1: cyborgs haven't taken over at that point? Not yet. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Thank you, Joshua Foa-Dienstag, for joining me today to talk about cinema pessimism, a political theory of representation and reciprocity. This is published by Oxford University Press in 2020. I assume one can pick up a copy of this at Oxford University Press website. Yes. And uh, other online distributors, I'm sure.
0: Uh, yes. Oxford Press, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble,
1: All the bookstores big near you. Okay, great. Thank you for joining me today, Joshua.
0: Thank you, Lily, so much.